chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want you to notice here that Paul is going to draw a distinction for Timothy he said, But God hath not given us a spirit of fear. There's something that He has not given us. He said, But He has given us power, love, and a sound mind. Amen. Apparently, as Paul is writing, Timothy is dealing with with this thing that we call fear. I want to preach to you just for a few moments tonight on canceling out the fear factor. Canceling out the fear factor. Stretch your hand this way. Ask the Lord to anoint Father in the name of Jesus. I come now asking you for the unction of the Holy Ghost, the power of your Spirit, need you to fall on me, Lord. Hallelujah. Preach through me. In the name of Jesus. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. You may be seated here tonight. It does not matter what walk of life you are from or what class of society you have lived in. There are some emotions in life that are inescapable. There are some feelings that you are just going to feel. One of these feelings is the feeling of fear. Fear in itself is not something to be afraid of. In fact, if there was no fear, then there could be no courage. Because courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is simply being able to do what needs to be done in spite of feeling afraid. Paul is not writing to Timothy simply about fear, but he is writing to Timothy to tell him that God has not given us a spirit of fear. This is more than just a fear of the emotions. This is an attack of the enemy that would cause Timothy to freeze in his tracks and be unable to do what God had called him to do. Yeah. 
Now we know something about fear tonight in the year 2020. Amen. I mean, just a few months ago, uh, uh, in March, uh, there were shutdowns and predicting that two million people would die. And we saw fear in America because you couldn't find toilet paper. That made me more scared than anything. Good luck trying to find bottled water and hand sanitizer and, and baby wipes and anything that uh, you could use to keep yourself clean without going into detail. Amen. Listen to me. There was a great fear that fell upon America. Walk into Walmart and see the shelves empty or the grocery store and the shelves were emptied out and people were in a panic and some tonight are still operating in a spirit of fear. Put your mask on. Don't walk outside without your mask or you might die. They operate in a spirit of fear. And Paul is writing to Timothy and saying that God has not given you a spirit of fear. It is not from God. Now there's some things about fear we need to know tonight. The fear has an ability to freeze us. To stop our progress. Fear is described as an emotion of alarm and agitation caused by the expectation or the realization of danger. You ever been there? Slam the brakes on and you almost rear in somebody and you feel that sense of fear. Or there's a bump in the night and somebody left their coat hanging on the coat rack. And it looked like a man standing in the dark. And I was scared I might miss. That's all I was scared of. Hey man, glory to God. John Bunyan in his masterful work, The Pilgrim's Progress, captured the ability of fear to freeze us masterfully. As, as Christian or a pilgrim is coming to the lodge built uh, by the master for the traveler's rest. He has already met with uh, two other travelers, mistrust and timorous. And they had told him there's no way that you can get to the traveler's rest. Because there are two lions that are guarding the door, guarding the gate. And you will not be able to pass by him. But the porter at the lodge, whose name is Watchful, perceived that as Christian would halt and go back, he cries out, Fear not the lions, for they are chained. Amen. Had Christian not received the direction, he would have never went forward because he would not have understood that fear has its limitations. I said fear has its limitations and oftentimes fear is greater than the consequences that you will suffer if you just face it. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. Now fear is directly related to and linked with severe words. Words like fright, dread, panic, terror, anxiety, Psychologists and physicians have proven that fear hinders in many ways. Did you know that fear has the ability to stop the heart of a human being? Yeah. In 1976, 
or 70, excuse me, there was an article entitled Child's Death in London Laid to the Fear of a Dentist. In the article, a four-year-old child going to his first dentist visit had his heart burst because he became so afraid of what the dentist would do to him. Can I tell you that fear has the ability to cause you to lose your heart? Listen to me. The devil knows exactly how to bring fear and trembling into the pulpit, fear and trembling into the home, fear and trembling into your mind. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody tonight. He knows exactly how to paint the scene and set the scenario until your heart begins to lose its strength to pump and beat and you cannot move because you've lost your heart. You know what happens with fear? Did you know if you're afraid and a serpent bites you, 85% of people who die of a snake bite, there was not enough venom to kill them, but fear weakened their heart? Come on here. Fear makes you susceptible to the bite of the enemy. When you look at the things that are going on, and I feel like preaching to preachers tonight. I want you, when you look at the things that are going on in your congregation and it strikes a heart of fear, when you look at old brother Mossy back deacon and you know if you preach that it's going to cause trouble and there's going to be heartache and there's going to be dilemma and you freeze, I want you to know you become susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. You are not called to have a spirit of fear. You are not called to be afraid of what is in front of you. You are called to preach. You are called to rebuke. You are called to correct. You are called to instruct. And you cannot let fear stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Fear can cause you to also not be fruitful. Did you know that women can so severely fear the pain of childbirth that it causes their wombs to shrivel and be barren? They cannot bring forth a child. They're afraid that the risk of their life is greater than the reward of a child. That's the root of all fear. The risk that what we are about to engage in is not as great as the reward that God is going to give us if we just do what we're called to do. And that's why we draw back from rebuking that one because we're afraid they're going to leave. And we're afraid that our budget won't balance out if we lose their tithe and their offering. And we're afraid, come out here, and we're afraid that their friends will go with them. And we're afraid, I come to tell you, God! has not given you a spirit of fear but a power and of love and of a sound mind now if we're going to do anything for God we got to learn not to be afraid of the risk factor everything you do for God is going to be risky start a church it's risky yeah it is pastor a church it's risky Here's what, here's what you need to know about pastoring. You'll be used like you've never been used, hurt like you've never been hurt, 
talked about like you've never been talked about, treated like you've never been treated, and you are expected to love like you have never loved before. Amen. Some of you don't like that. Look straight ahead because you're one of the ones talking. You're one of the ones using. Amen. I'm going to preach to you. I'm going somewhere. I, I just, I know what God told me today. You've got to get over the risk factor. A risk factor is any situation, habit, or social condition, whether it's psychological, whether it's physiological. It, 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 it will stop you or increases the vulnerability of an individual to illness or an accident. In other words, when you get in your car to drive, there's a risk factor. It's what they're trying to convince you of with COVID-19. There's a great risk factor. It's 0.3% if you're going to die. You might get sick. I ain't never been afraid of being sick. Take some DayQuil and get about your business. Amen. Glory to God. But they're trying to convince us that the risk is too great. What would happen if every pastor in America woke up and said what God has called me to do is great enough that I'm willing to risk it all. That I'm willing to hang it all out. I'm willing to sell out. I'm willing to go out. I'm willing to give out. Because I understand there's a risk but the reward is greater and I'll never know the reward if I don't take the risk. Now, why would Paul write to Timothy? I hope you all can stay with me. Why would Paul write to Timothy and tell him God has not given us a spirit of fear? Probably because Timothy was afraid. Now, understand that Timothy was called into the gospel ministry probably at a very young age. Most people feel about 16 to 17 years old that the touch of God, the call of God had been put on his life. Now you are talking about a young man that is going to minister in a culture that puts value upon elders. They don't put value on young men, but they put value upon men who have been tested and have been proven. And God has called Timothy to preach the gospel. So Timothy would have been under the scrutiny of elders as they watched his life. We're not just going to listen to what you have to say. Can I tell you something, young preacher? Just because you feel anointed does not give you the authenticity of character. It does not give you the weight of faithfulness. Just because you feel God told you something. I've seen young preachers get up and rebuke and then say they didn't take the rebuke. That's because you hadn't been built up in character enough to give the rebuke. So they're going to watch Timothy. They're going to scrutinize him. They're, and so he's under this pressure. But he's also preaching and leading in a time of great doctrinal questions. As the church is still very much being established. And working out the doctrines of Christ. We know this because when Paul writes in 1 Timothy, he says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. 
Now notice what the charge is. Do not forget the prophecies. Now, now we're, we're in an age where we think of prophecies as somebody laying their hands on us saying, yea, yea, thus saith God. But really this word prophecy means don't forget the instructions and plans that were spoken to you by men of God and through the Word of God. Look it up. Instructions and plans. He said, I want you to know that you are about to go to war. You are about to enter into a fight and you must hold on to your faith and your good conscience. You know what this tells me? His faith would be tested. Listen to me. He is going to face some things that are going to cause his faith to be shaken. Preacher, where are you at tonight? Has some things happened in your life that caused your faith in people to be shaken? Your faith is going to stand trial. It's going to be tested. But here's what he said. Your character must remain unscathed. You're going to be tested. But you cannot allow your character to fall in the middle of your faith being stretched. My God, listen to me. Pastors don't quit the ministry and preachers don't quit the ministry because everything's going right. They don't quit the ministry because everybody's being faithful and paying their tithe. And everybody's worshiping. And everybody's praying. And everybody's fasting. Come on here. Preachers quit and throw their hands up and walk away. Because people are fighting. And people won't be faithful. And they're tired of of trying to have shoes on a shoestring budget. Oh, y'all aren't helping me right here. And you go to the closet and you can't complain to people. But you cry out in your agony and you groan out to God. But somewhere in the groaning, sometimes our character becomes scarred because we become bitter against the people. We march to the pulpit with our silent frustrations. We enter into the counseling chamber with our silent frustrations. I'm preaching to you. Just come with me for a little bit. We march there and our faith is stretched and our character is scathed. And he said, some have putting away concerning faith have made shipwrecked. He said, do you understand? You think they were shipwrecked? And you can fall out with me right here. They might have been shipwrecked because they were vile. But they also might have been shipwrecked because they were tired of being hurt. And somewhere their faith had been stretched and their consciences had been scathed. Listen to me. They no longer had a good conscience. God, when we begin to excuse our bitterness towards others in our congregations, our conscience become scathed to the voice of God speaking to us. And my question is, sir, how can you speak to the people of God for God if God cannot speak through your scarred conscience? Well, Timothy, your faith's going to be tested. Your character must remain unscathed. Why? Because, Timothy, I hate to tell you this, times are only going to get harder. Yeah. 
Now the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He said, Timothy, there's going to come a time you think it's hard now. See, this letter is coming to Timothy during his first pastorate. <laughs> He's just taken over the reins of the church at Ephesus. And Paul is giving him a thesis on how to conduct himself in the house of God. How to conduct himself with elders. How to pastor the church. And now towards the end of the letter, he says, Timothy, this know also that someday the honeymoon's going to end. That someday they're going to hear all your illustrations. They're going to know exactly where you're going. And what you think was impactful, they're going to go, oh, here we go again. It's just Ochoa again. I, I get afraid preaching to people over and over and over because they learn you. Come on here. You come in as an evangelist and they think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I think if I stayed here a month, you'd be running me out. Times are only going to get harder. So what do we do? Well, we got to surround ourselves with pure doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, 6. Preach pure doctrine and hold on to the words of faith. Now, he must refuse things that will take away from the gospel. Now, listen to me. Paul is writing to him of a temptation. He said, number one, when these things start happening, when people start giving heed to seducing spirits, they begin to preach things that are not really in the word of God. They begin to forbid. This is, this is actually a ploy or a plea against people getting too self-righteous. I mean, you know... I. I don't know who's listening. It don't matter, I guess. Amen. But listen, I, when I was evangelist, we'd have people say, now if you go over here, you can't wear this and you need to do that. But if you go over here, you've got to do this. And I finally just made up my mind, I'm just going to go just like I am. Like it, lump it, bump it, jump it. It's just what it is. Amen. You don't like me, I'll roll on. The wheel's still round. Glory to God. Amen. But oh, there's a conundrum. And he said, listen, when this happens, the only way to combat that is preach pure doctrine. He said, but in your personal life, hold on to the words of faith. Because what you preach is important, but how you live is of greater importance. What you preach is impactful, but how people see you respond. How people see you conduct yourself. Preaches a sermon more than words will ever preach. Amen. If they see you as a man of integrity, they'll listen to your words and they'll say, those come with integrity. If they see you as a man of low character, I don't care if you preach until the paint says hallelujah, they'll never flood an altar because you did not hold your faith. But he said, Timothy, let me warn you, having pure doctrine and holding on to faith is time-consuming. He said, and so, refuse profane and old wives' fables. Yeah. 
and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. He said, look, there's going to be all kinds of things that will pull you away from the gospel. Preachers, our first calling is the word and prayer. Our first calling is not to be janitors and handymen. Our first calling is not to be remodelers or church builders. Now listen to me. You're about to say amen. You're about to say all right, but you're about to enter into a building project. And, and some folks will be just as happy to sit back and let Brother Woods head everything. And then expect that the preaching's the same quality. That the prayer's the same quality. That the counseling's the same quality. You want that preaching? I tell you what, you better step up and say, go occupy yourself. Go occupy yourself with studying the word. We've got this. Put it on our shoulders because we need a man of God that will preach to us, that will watch for our souls. You got to stay with me. I got a long foundation, but when I get to where I'm going, we'll preach. Listen, he will be instructed to give his time to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, 1 Timothy 4 and 13. He will be instructed to not neglect the gift that was put on in him by the laying on of hands and prophecy, but to meditate upon them and give himself wholly unto them. They will cause him to grow, and that growth will be seen by those who are following him. Following him. Those prophecies that came to you when men of God came to you and said, I see potential in you. I see God's hand on you. I see God using you. Here's some things that I want to tell you. Don't dismiss those. Latch on to those. Latch on to those. I remember one man telling me, he said, the touch of God on your life is special. He said, you must maintain your personal integrity or you will lose it all. Your personal, those words stuck in my head. I said, God, help my hands to be holy. Help my mouth to be holy. My ears to be holy. My thoughts to be holy. I want to be holy in places where nobody can see because if I holy where they can't see I'll be holy where they can now Paul is going to address this elder culture he's going to say let no man despise thy youth but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Again, an elder-heavy culture. And now, Timothy is approximately 27 years old at Ephesus. He's called at 16 to 17. He's about 27, 28 years old, and he's taking Ephesus. He's probably not married. There's no mention. He has no children. But he's going to tell them how their marriages should be conducted, how their children should be raised. And in that time... Fathers ruled everything. If you were a father and you had a son and he got married, you were still in charge of the son. Yeah. 
And if you had a daughter and she got married, you were still in charge unless they were living with his father. And they all worked and they brought their money and laid it at your feet. And if they needed something, you get, you doled it out. You, they, you, that's how it worked. Look it up. Not, that's how it worked. You wanted some money. You, you brought your, how many, some of you wouldn't like that. Bring your check to dad. And then you say, hey, me and my wife want to go out and eat on Friday. Well, here's $30. You can go. Well, I needed 50. Well, you're going to have to make do with 30. Hey, Amen. Yes, sir. I already see the little green devil of rebellion jumping around. Amen. Glory to God. Listen to me. More in the wives than the husbands. Amen. I wanted red lobster. I didn't want Cracker Barrel. Amen. Stay with me. I know I'm slow tonight, but I've got a point. Listen to me. He says, you've got to walk before these elders. Now, this term despise is the Greek word kataphroneo. It means to think against, to disesteem or despise. Now, Paul is going to address this in Timothy. He said, when men look at you, give them no reason to despise your conduct. He said, you conduct yourself with wisdom. He said, I know that as a young man, there's foolishness that's in your life and in your mind. Come on, you might as well say amen. You got to almost hit your 30s before some of that foolishness gets out of you. You don't believe me, you'll spend 1500 bucks to put a set of rims on your truck and make it that high. Crazy. Amen. Glory to God. Well, amen. Hallelujah. I lost some of you right there on that shuffle. Glory to God. But it takes a while for you to hit conduct. You'll still want to lay out on a Sunday to go deer hunting. You'll still want to miss a work day because you scheduled a golfing trip. Come out here. Amen. He said, Timothy, you got to put that away. Your conduct has to be such that when these elders look at you, they can't point a finger and they can't throw a stone. You've got to conduct yourself with wisdom. But he also thought that he should not only have conduct, he said... Let no man despise your character. Did you know that conduct is different than character? You can conduct yourself totally different than what you really are. We call those type of people monsters. Amen. They're monsters. They act one way in front of people and another way altogether in the privacy of their own home. They're monsters. Something to be said about authenticity in your life. Amen. Being the same. If Oh, glory to God. If you act like you're not going to look at other women and then look at pornography at home, you sure are a monster. If you act like you're honest and above board when you're dealing with people, but behind the scenes you're stealing money, you sure are a monster. And he said, Timothy, I not only want to conduct yourself right, he said, but I want you to keep your character right. Those places that nobody can see. 
He said, then thirdly, he said, let no man despise your caring. He said, let them see you have a heart. That's what he's saying. Let no man despise thy youth. Do you know when, when you don't have your own children that it's often hard to actually care about children? Brother Andrew and Sister Abby's little girl was behind me in church the other night, right before church started. I turned around, and she's standing there with that blonde hair and those glasses. And I said, I love those glasses. And I'm telling you, I just wanted to squeeze her up. I knew it would be wildly inappropriate, and she'd probably freak out, you know. What's this guy doing? But she was so cute, so adorable. Little seven turns around, smiles at me in church, and, and it's so cute. And these young men run up and brother Ocho and hug me. I love it. You know why? Because I'm a father. Because I'm a father. There's nothing wild or perverse about. I'm just a father. Oh, I looked over and saw these little boys last night weeping under the power of God. Man, it did more for me than anything else because I'm a father. I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. Glory to God. Oh, there's something about it. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't have children, sometimes it's hard. But he said, Timothy, learn to care about the things you don't even know about yet. Now, the older I get, I got a lot of young men in my church. And the older I get, I'll be doing something. Say, oh, and they'll say, what's wrong? Well, I'm hurting. <laughs> what you talking about? You know, they don't understand. He said, Timothy, when those elders groan, he said, get in beside them. Get in beside them. Now Paul caps this advice off. First Timothy 4 and 16. Take heed unto thyself and under the doctrine. Continue in them. Why? For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself. And them that hear thee. This is the goal brother Hayden. We're not trying to go by ourselves. We're trying to take them with us. Now, 1 Timothy is a book of instructions. And it's written poetically, pointedly. But 2 Timothy is a bit different. Now, Timothy has seen firsthand the trials and tests of the ministries pastored four years. By now, he's had bad pies and bad cakes. By now he's been given suits that he doesn't want to wear and ties that he doesn't want to wear. Amen. Y'all are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. By now he's had the elder put his finger in his face say, I didn't like that preaching. I think you were preaching at my son. And he's had to say, I was. Yeah, he's telling me that all the time. I think you were preaching that because you knew. I said, I did. Yeah. I can't believe it. What do you mean you can't believe it? If I see the wicked and do not warn them, their blood is on my hands. It's what I'm here for. If you're crazy enough to do it and let me know, I'm crazy enough to preach it. Amen. Well, glory to God. 
I never have understood that. People, well, I just got to, you know, I know about it, so I can't preach it. What do you mean you know about it? You can't preach it. You know about it, you better preach it. Well, glory to God. Four years have passed since his first letter. And much has changed for Timothy and Paul. Now, 2 Timothy is the last epistle that Paul will write. He's about to die. He's on his second journey to Nero's court. And he is going to die. When you picture Paul, I don't know how you picture him. I picture Paul as being a man, maybe not physically large in stature, but being a man of energy. That's how, that's, that's how I feel. He's a man of energy, that he had a presence, that he had a charisma and an ability because when he would speak, men would listen. He had so much authority that he wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said, you correct this or I'm going to have to come. And they corrected it. <laughs> Amen. We don't want him here. Amen. Lord, if he's here, if he's here, I hope it's at a love feast. We don't want him here preaching a revival. Glory to God. He's going to skin us. He's going to put the cane to our back. We better correct it. But now Paul is old. He is in prison and once again facing the likely prospect of death. He writes, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. Now, I don't like the NIV, but I like what it said here. He said, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. He said, here I am. My life is already leaving me. He's saying, whether they kill me or not, I don't have much left, Timothy. I've traveled. I've been shipwrecked. I've been in fasting. I've been in perils. I've been beat. And there's not much of my life left. But he said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. There is not one thing that God has called me to do that I have not done. My God, what a dying paragraph. There's nothing that God told me that I was not obedient to. There was nothing God took me to that I didn't finish. I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now 2 Timothy is moving. Because Paul is going to break from his normal, devi or normal writing. He's going to deviate. And he's going to say to Timothy, come to my side. Timothy, you've been wrapped up in the care of Ephesus. You've been visiting the elders. You've been praying for the sick. You've been evangelizing. You've been giving yourself to the word and doctrine. He said, but Timothy, do your best to come before winter. I need you to come to me. I'm about to die. In 1 Timothy, Paul pressed the care of Ephesus, the care of the church upon Timothy. But in 2 Timothy, Paul's more pressing need is for Timothy to come to his side. And even greater than Paul's personal comfort is the need for Paul to pass the torch of ministry on to Timothy. 
He is the logical choice for the responsibility. He has been by Paul's side, worked with him for 15 years. He knows Paul's heart. Paul said of him in Philippians, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. I trust him. And I'm about to die. And I've got to hand the torch to Timothy. Now listen, Paul understood some things. The churches of Europe and Asia are in a crucial time. Rome has turned against Christianity. Nero will sweep through Christianity with ten persecutions. There will, be, there will be killings and murders. He will eat his dinner by the bodies of saints that are hung on poles, dipped in oil, and burned like torches. Nero is bent on destroying the church. But also, Paul knows, there is a widespread apostasy in Asia. In 1 Timothy 1.5, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. It was such a desperate situation as Paul is in prison that Mole in his book, the second epistle to Timothy said, Christianity trembled, humanly speaking, on the verge of annihilation. He said, in God's greatest apostle, the greatest preacher on earth that is still drawing breath is in a prison cell and he's about to die. His ministry is over. He could no longer travel through the Roman Empire putting out fires, correcting errors, establishing order. Now it is left up to Timothy and a few others. And he says, Timothy, before I die, get here. I've got to look you in the eyes. I've got to charge you with a commission. I've got to tell you there's a work for you to do. That's what we want, isn't it? How many preachers we got? Oh, I just want to carry the torch into the next generation. Come on, rate wave at me. I'd like to carry the torch. I threw my hanky somewhere. If somebody could get that for me. I don't want to untangle all that mess right there. Amen. If I don't, though, I'll be sweated out. Glory to God. Listen to me. But picture with me for a moment. Because Paul is not about to turn Timothy over something that is rosy. And beautiful and in great repair. Oh, man, I feel like preaching now. Glory to God. He's no stranger to Paul being in prison. In fact, he received his first letter when Paul was in prison. In that first imprisonment, though, Paul was allowed to live in a rented house. He was allowed to receive visitors. He was allowed to send out letters and to minister to saints and sinners alike. Amen. Paul, but this time, all of those privileges have disappeared. In fact, Paul has been chained and thrust into a lowly dungeon cell. I stood in that cell that they think that Paul was in. And if it's true, there's a little crack in the ceiling. And it's pitch dark in there. Except for certain times of the day, for about two hours, when the sunlight shines through and casts a narrow path of about a foot or two. And if it was so, I stood in the place that Paul would have taken that pen, her quill, and written. 
dying in a dungeon saying, take care of the churches. Hold on to doctrine. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Timothy, I'm about to die. But my God, we need men. We need men. We need men who are sold out to the cause of Christ. been thrust so deep in the dungeon that Onesiphorus had to diligently search for him to find him. He said, I have no man. He said, but Onesiphorus hath off refreshed me. He diligently searched me out. He was not ashamed. Paul was cold. Bring me my cloak before winter. He was bored. Bring me my parchments. He was lonely. I have no man with me. Only Luke is with me. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. Paul is going to pull out all the stops in addressing Timothy. You can hear the sense of urgency in Paul's writing. He said, Timothy, my ministry is over. But you must stir up the gift of God which is in thee. By the putting on of my hands. He said, Timothy, here I am in a dungeon. And if I, if I just look around and take stock of what is visible. Listen to me, preachers. We've got to learn not to be victims of the visible. Amen. Too often what we see is what controls us. What we see is what, uh, what we believe. What we see. Somebody said perception is reality. Jay Sidlow Baxter wrote of, uh, of a two year period where he preached almost every night. Sometimes two and three times a day. And was so wore out and exhausted. He said that they decided they would take three months off to rest. They booked a cruise. He said the night before the cruise left. His wife became deathly sick. They called in a doctor. And the doctor said, don't move her, she may die. And Baxter said, I went down and watched the ship sail away and wept and said, God, I don't understand. We needed this rest. Until he saw the headline of the paper of the ship that he had booked on, written, Titanic sunk. We become victims of what we see. Not understanding. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Not understanding and trusting the providence of God. Understanding that while I'm in this cell, Timothy, I've not forgotten there's a gift in you. They've locked me up. But I want to tell you while I'm locked up, free the gift. Stir it up. Stir it up. And let God use you. He said, Timothy, my voice is going to be silent. He said, but be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. 
but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy, they may take you, beat you, and imprison you, but that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Timothy, they will smother your message, but you must preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word. Why is Paul writing like this? Put yourself in Timothy's shoes for a moment. The greatest preacher, the greatest saint of God you have ever known is about to die and his life's work is in shambles. Persecuted, apostate, and facing extinction. That same preacher is dying in a jail cell and will likely face a beheading. And now he wants you to come and he wants to hand you this broken work and put certain persecution in your hands. And he knows. This is why he think, doesn't think, I, I believe this, this is Ochoa 101, but I believe that Paul didn't think the letter was enough. Oh, yeah. I got to see you, Timothy. I got to talk to you. Come on here. I, I mean, you know how it is when you have a passion in your heart. I used to write letters to my wife. She wasn't my wife then, but it wasn't the same as getting to see her. Yeah. And communicate with her face to face. And Paul said, I've written letters, but I, I got to know that you understand. And so he's calling him because he knows what he's about. Listen, if you got a call tonight, come and pastor a church. Some of you be like, whoo, glory to God. What's the salary? There isn't any. How many people are there? Well, there's about 12 if you can catch them all, but they're all fighting and they're all backslid. Oh, by the way, every Wednesday night when you get done preaching, there's about six guys who wait on you after church and they beat you up. And Sunday, before you get in the pulpit, usually the police show up and several times I've been drug off and had to sit two or three days in jail. You ready? Come on, we need a pastor. I need somebody to take the word. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. I'm in jail. I'm about to die. They've forsaken us in Asia. Yeah. Nero's turned against us. We're being persecuted. You can be put in jail. Here's the keys, buddy. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, God. He said, when you look at Rome and shake, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. He said, Timothy, if you see my head hit the ground, God hath not given us a spirit of fear. He said, Timothy, if they take me out of this cell and bind you and you hear the door close behind you as they march me away to my death, God has not given us a spirit of fear. 
Timothy, if they won't listen to you preach and they won't take your rebukes and they stone you and they fight against you, God has not given us a spirit of fear. I know by the Holy Ghost that there's some preachers right here in this house. You've been looking at your situation and you've been saying, I don't know what to do. I come to tell you, God, I said, God, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He has not given you a spirit of fear. your hands and ask God to talk to us by more than my voice but by his spirit what I feel like in the Holy Ghost. There's young men that God has been trying to call but you're afraid. I come to tell you God has not given you a spirit of fear. There are ministries that God would open if people would just get unafraid. There are ministries in this community that the church could be involved in if we just shake off the spirit of fear. Let me appeal to you the same way that Paul appealed to Timothy. Paul weaved an irresistible chain of logic through 2 Timothy to combat Timothy's fear. First of all, he began with the first link. He said, I find in you the same unfeigned faith that I found in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. That unfeigned means it was non-hypocritical. He said, Timothy, I want you to remember that Lois died praising God. And Eunice, if she's dead, died praising God. (laughs) They didn't die in fear. They died in victory. And I'm about to die, but I'm not going to die in fear. That's why I said, henceforth... There is a crown of righteousness. I'm about to die, but I'm not afraid. Some of you, you're second and third and fourth generation. I can tell you, you're standing on a foundation. <laughs> brother, the other night, I, I just met him. I can't, the, brother just got saved. 
Josh, he said, <laughs> I about shouted. He didn't know what I was going to preach. I knew it was coming. He said, uh, he said, oh yeah, I grew up with Preacher Woods. He said, his daddy, he said, when you see him, it's like seeing his daddy. Oh. <laughs> Woo! And daddy died in the faith. Come on here. And dad, are you understanding what I'm telling you? We're standing on the shoulders of giants. He said, Timothy, I see the unfeigned faith. What are you afraid of? Don't tell me the church can't have revival. Don't tell me that this is an apostate age. I'm standing on the shoulders of Pentecostal saints. And God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, 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 power. I'm just going to brush these. Secondly, said, you also have a foundation of gifting. Again, first we are told what God has not given. Fear, timidity, deliha. We are not to be timid. Oh, glory to God. I'm a Christian. He said, God didn't give you that. <laughs> you know why Timothy needed that? Because if you look him up, he was frail. He was sick. He had problems. If you read about Titus, Titus was probably a robust man. He had to travel through, uh, through the islands of Crete. It was huge. And he had to preach in every, in every church and establish. He had to be a robust man. But Timothy was sick. He had to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. And Paul said, you are not to be timid. <laughs> he said, you may not be physically powerful, but God has not given you the spirit of fear but of power. Dunamis. Miraculous power. God. Church, why are we afraid in this last day? Why are we afraid to declare Pentecost and holiness and righteousness? Why are we locked up with a spirit of timidity and fear? I'm telling you, God has given us power. Said I gave you love, agape, a love feast. He said, while they're throwing you to the lions, you'll love them. <laughs> while they're binding you and putting you in prison, you just love them. Preacher, don't you dare think about quitting because they ain't treating you right. Pull up to the love feast table and love them to death. Love them to death. When they cuss you, bless them. When they slap you, hug them. When they lie about you, praise them. <laughs> when they slap your cheek, turn the other cheek and say, you probably could do it a little harder. Amen. I'm telling you, pull up to the table and love them.
gave you power, gave you love. He said also, I gave you a sound mind. Somebody come to the piano. This is a Greek word, sophronismos. You know what it means? It means disciplined, self-controlled. It means not controlled by the emotions of our circumstances. Years ago, I was preaching a revival somewhere in the state of confusion. I came in one night. It's time to start service, but no pastor. And I'm, you know, I thought, well, maybe he's running late. Maybe he had to work late. I knew he had a job. And people were milling around. They didn't know what to do. Finally, one man got up and said, well, I'm going to start the service. About that time, a little boy came to me and said, Pastor, want you in the fellowship hall. So I went back and when I got back there, this man, his face, just, and he just started crying. And I said, brother, what's wrong? He said, $15,000. $15,000. I've got one year to raise $15,000 or they're going to take this church. What am I going to do? And I thought, $15,000? My God, man, I got the faith to raise that right now. Not that that comes easy, but I, I mean, let's get on it. You got a year. Start having bake sales. Start having yard sales. Start cutting grass if that's what you got to do. Amen. Start appealing to people. He wasn't self-controlled. You know that you can make more blunders in pastoring and ministry by not having a sound mind than anything else. The devil will tell you they're against you. You'll preach and they'll sit there looking like they're dying and you'll think they're against you and then come to find out their stomach was upset that night. You might as well say man. And we make blunders. We bust in and we paint things that are against us. But God didn't give you that. God gave you a sound mind. He gave you self control stop being offended I got more to preach I'm going to stop right here I'd like to preach that last chain of logic the foundation of the gospel that's what Paul appeals you can study it out he said you got your faith you got a sound mind power love he said also the gospel he weaves that chain throughout 2 Timothy what he's trying to do is bind Timothy to the ministry and say, you can do it. You can do it. I've told this many times, but when I was in Tennessee, I went through the roughest time of my life. Death threats. Punched for preaching. That's hard to take if you're of my, if you're of my nature. When a man hits me, you know, I just think, okay, well, then I got to hit you back, but I didn't. I wanted to say I'll hit you three ways, hard, fast, and continuously, but I didn't. We went through it. 
But I remember we'd been there about a year and a half. Me and my wife were sitting in the car and I reached over and grabbed her hand. I said, honey, they're trying to offend us. I said, that's, that's what they're doing. They're trying to hurt us. And the Holy Ghost came on me. I said, I refuse to give them that power. I said, from now on, if people try to offend us, I said, we will decide whether or not we're going to be offended. Cuss me, spit at me, drive a tank over me. When I get up and dust myself off, I'm going to weigh out whether or not I'm going to be offended. In this day, we need preachers who when the world is falling apart, they know where they stand. Yes. 